Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on a household of five will be divided, three against two, and two against three. A father will be divided against his son, and a son against his father, a mother against her daughter, and a daughter against her mother, a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. These rather stark, cruel, and perhaps even harsh words from our Lord today in this gospel stand in contrast, I think, oftentimes the picture we can paint of Jesus as this super kind, ineffectual, and perhaps one might even say pushover sort of savior that we have pictured in our mind. And this gospel and many other passages of this sort always kind of push back against it, showing us that Jesus is a little more complicated than just a doe-eyed man looking at you from a picture. And what I think this particular passage shows us is it's, well, rather stark. The Prince of Peace declares war. The one who prayed that his disciples might be one promises division. And the one who said that whoever does his will is a brother or sister or mother foretells familial strife. We see in this gospel that our Lord is not so much saying that what he brings and the effects that people and how people may respond to it is primarily a good thing, but instead what he's trying to show us is that whenever it comes to preaching the gospel, that he has come to set the earth on fire with the fire of his love to kindle human hearts to love of God and for their neighbor. And well, love is not an easy thing. Love is not placid. Love is an intense, abiding, and rather, well, strong reality. It does not reside in the emotions, it is not a feeling, but instead it is a commitment to what is the good, and willing the good of the other. First, our Lord, to his glory, but then the willing the good of our brothers and sisters and ourselves. And whenever it comes down to this, we get a little better of an insight of what our Lord is discussing. What kind of division does he come to sow? Well, he comes to sow a division between us and our sin. He comes to sow a division between the evil one and those that, in so often, in the many ways in which he has worked his way into our lives, into our families, and into our communities. He comes to divide us from that reality and instead unite us to himself, unite us to his most sacred heart, the burning furnace of charity. He desires for us to ultimately serve him first and foremost. But in order for us to do so, we must first, well, separate ourselves from our sin. That is why the church has given us the great gift of the sacrament of confession, has given us the confessional, so that the sins which so often separate us from God, those around us, and even ourselves, can be done away with. And the strife that we have within ourselves can instead sow the peace of the Lord. And I think that this is, well, whenever it comes to removing our sin, 
It is not an easy reality. It's our separation from it is not a happy sort of goodbye, but it oftentimes involves a great deal of struggle, a great deal of difficulty. And we can see this from the example of the saints, so that we know that we are not all that much different, really. Look at the example of St. Augustine. You ever read his confessions in the part and the confessions where he finally commits himself to the Lord in celibacy, overcoming decades of lust. You can see that the struggle within himself, and you can just feel it from the page, that there's this intense struggle that ensues as he wavers between his previous life and the newfound life, one of joy, one of peace, one of love, that the Lord promises to him. And ultimately, it's only by the Lord's grace that, yes, he does separate himself from that sin and goes on to become the greatest theologian in the church's history or the greatest preacher within the church's history as well, St. Paul, who is on his way to quite literally kill Christians, put them into prison, and make sure to stomp out its remnants within his pure religion and his mind. And on his way there, on his way to Damascus, the Lord literally knocks him to the ground, a rather violent sort of force, strikes him blind, And as a result, and from that experience, Paul sees the errors of his way, and by the hands of Ananias, he is healed and then restored to the state of sight, but then also made a child of God and washed free from his sin in baptism, going on to become the greatest evangelist within the early church. From these examples, we see that the removal of sin is no easy task. As Father Zink sometimes puts it to me, Oftentimes, removal of sin is a violent act of the Holy Spirit within our souls. It requires for sin to be completely removed, and oftentimes our hearts are not quite there yet. But if we give ourselves to the Lord, trusting Him, He will knock it out. He will take it from us if we allow Him. And I think this is an important thing for us to remember. The path that we trod, the way of the cross, which circles this church and so many Catholic churches, is a reminder that our lives are a journey. It's a reminder that the Lord does indeed desire to perfect us and that we don't have to be there today. Perhaps we wish we were, perhaps even we could say that it's ideal if we were. But as it is, the Lord works in time. He works in our lives in the most patient, albeit oftentimes very painful ways within our life in order to purify us and allow us to truly unite ourselves to him so we can become that burning flame of love, of truth, and a world cast in darkness. And I think it's even instructive for us about where this division lies today, because immediately after mentioning division, he goes into where that division will lie, within the family, and how true it is. I recently read that in a very strange way that people talk about the growing kind of creep of secularism in our world, that less and less people practice, less and less people believe. The strange thing is, though, the weird thing is, is that if you compare children, adult children, who grew up in intact families, mother, father, throughout their lives, growing up, between the baby boomer generation and millennials, 
the ones who grew up in intact families, they practice at almost the exact same rate. Faith starts in the family. It is not just a crisis of individuals. It's before, it's first and foremost, a strife, a division within family that has resulted in our lack of faith and us losing our faith. That is an important truth for us. It's one of the great things about ministering in Shelby County and growing up in Mercer County is family is first. Family is fundamental and family is so darn important. And it is a beautiful thing. But I remember a visiting priest who came and stayed overnight at the rectory, my first assignment, was talking with the pastor and I. And he stated that one of the beautiful things that he had observed at having kind of worked with a number of people from the area in the north of the archdiocese is that family is first. But he noted that the struggle and the important thing for us as priests to remember is that we need to put Christ at the center of the family because that was beginning to be lost and he could see it. Now I'm beginning to see it. And if we lose Christ, our families will lose their union. And the way that the rest of the world has gone, and divorce, brokenness, and that, will soon follow. That much I know. And so it is important for you, who are in these pews, to put Christ at the center of your family life. To begin to become that fire of charity, that difficult reality that may cause division in your family at large. That may cause difficulty. That may be seen as an outcast or a weirdo. But nonetheless, it is what you are called to. His family is the greatest evangelical structure that we have. We could say that perhaps new evangelization needs to focus first and foremost on marriage. It is between you, your spouse, your children, to ultimately renew the church. Because that's where vocations come from. Vocations crisis is not a crisis of do priests need to be married? It's not a crisis of do we need this or that? to make it more attractive. It is a crisis of families. It's that oftentimes whenever a young man considers a priesthood and mentions it to his parents, or a young lady mentions it, that she would like to be a religious sister to her parents, that oftentimes, at best, they perhaps just receive some little nudging or that's cute, but at worst, an encouragement to put it off until after college, to wait, date first, and other such advice which in the end ultimately suffices to only implant within their mind that priesthood, religious life is something lesser, something less important, and would be a disappointment to you as a parent. And that does a great travesty to the church. We have no further to look for our vocations crisis, marriage and priesthood, than within our families themselves. We have allowed the evil one to sow division. We have allowed him to come into our hearts first, but then also we have allowed him to come between us, our spouses, our children. And it is only whenever we allow Christ to once again reign supreme within our homes, enthroning him, enthroning his sacred heart, the immaculate heart of his mother, that once again, once again, we can enjoy the fact that indeed family is first. The family is first because Christ is first within our families. That is where we need to strive and what we need to look for. And it is with that gift a division from our sin, within ourselves first, but then starting with our families as well, that then the Lord can unite us to his fire of love 
in his most sacred heart, that burning furnace of charity by which he desires to draw us to himself, especially here at Mass, in the reception of the most holy Eucharist.